Welcome to Authentic Moments with Kiva. Listen in as we engage in conversations about a range of topics surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion. These conversations are meant to educate, inform, and feed curious minds, all part of how Cone Health is right here with you. Welcome to Authentic Moments with Kiva. I am joined today with three of Cone Health's pharmacists, and we are going to explore and talk about the COVID-19 vaccine. So we know that COVID-19 has been devastating um, to our country and to our community. And we are really, really hopeful and excited that we have a vaccine that can help us with the transmission of this disease. But there are a lot of people that are, are a little bit skeptical. And so we wanted to get together and spend time with you all just to talk a little bit more about the vaccine and um, and dispel any myths that are out there about the vaccine. And so we thought there's no better way to do that with three of Cone Health's finest pharmacists and the pharmacists that happen to be people of color. So I'm going to start just by asking you all just to introduce yourselves and tell me just how long you've been with Cone Health. Hi, I'm Courtney Isom. I work at the Community Health and Wellness Center as a Pharmacy Operations Coordinator, and I have been here for six years. Uh, my name is Andre Harvin. I'm the Director of Pharmacy for our Cancer Center Service Line. I've actually been here for one year. And I'm Alvira Maduema. I am the Assistant Director of Operations at the Wesley Long Pharmacy, and I've been here for 17 years. So I have to ask, when you first heard that there was a COVID-19 vaccine being developed, what came to your mind? What did you? What was the first thing you said or thought about that vaccine um, being developed? I, I thought that this was it, it was great for me. I looked at it as as this is what we can accomplish um, in terms of like the medical field when you have everybody rowing in the same direction. So to hear that every biopharmaceutical company potentially across the globe was trying to develop one of these, that that was kind of a no-brainer. The fact that they were able to get it done so quickly was just very impressive. It was kind of like a breath of fresh air that we've got a real tool here to combat um, this virus. And it's something that was just very exciting for me. So I, I do have one question about that. So one of the things that has come up in discussion um, in communities is really that how in the world can we create a vaccine in nine months? Something's got to be wrong with it. Something, Something's not tested. Um, how could this be? I mean, I know that um, it was kind of some, some things that were done ahead of time. Um, if you know, for instance, there was SARS, you know, back in um, the early 2000s. So, you know, all that stuff has kind of, you know, come together now. So they were able to to look in and see how they can actually develop it a little bit faster. And we have, you know, better um, technology now. We didn't have that technology back then that they have, that we have now. So, um, yeah, I think that it was a culmination of, you know, the old stuff, you know, being brought in with the new um technology that we do have now. So the type of vaccine this is, is called an mRNA vaccine. And uh, what mRNA does is, is once it's injected through the vaccine, it actually teaches your body how to create the effective antibodies that will recognize that COVID 
virus when it when it invades your system. It'll prevent it from, you know, proliferating and, and making you sick and then making you infectious to other people. And so that type of vaccine has actually been um, developed and researched since the like late 1990s. So I have to ask you all, have you all taken the vaccine yet? I have. Yes, I have. So you all have taken the vaccine. Mm-hmm. All right, so we got to dig into that. So tell me a little bit about taking the vaccine. Have you taken both doses or just one? I've taken just the first, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the doses right. are, are spaced about three weeks apart. Um, okay. So I'm actually due for my second shot next week. So tell me about right. it. Was Did it hurt more than any other shot that you got? And tell me a little bit about the side effects, if any, that you had. Sure. So um, it, it felt very much like getting a routine vaccine. Um, I was actually expecting, I think, just because of the nature of this vaccine, I was anticipating um, maybe I'd feel it a little bit more or something, but not at all. It was it was a very painless stick. They do make sure that um, they keep you around for 10, 15 minutes to make sure that you don't have any um, adverse events or any side effects. Um, typical soreness, muscle aches um, is, is common, um, but I have not experienced anything outside of that. So it was a very... Um, mild um, response to the vaccine. The minority population or the Black, um, Hispanic population, we know that they've been hit harder, right? We've been hit harder with um, cases of COVID-19. And so with that, it becomes, hey, let's think about the population, right? Let's think about Latinx and and African-Americans. And let's say, hey, well, we want to make sure that there's equity as it relates to getting this vaccine. So do you all know anything about how that's being approached as far as to who gets the vaccine first? I mean, we know that clinicians and, and hospitals and nursing homes, you know, there's phases of it. But do you know anything about how we prioritize um, the administering of the vaccine? So I know that they just kind of update the guidelines from the state. So um, it was kind of mentioned in Austin, I think, in a leader um, meeting this morning as well. But so they're doing it uh, 1B, group two. Uh, now they have three groups. So group two would be um, healthcare, frontline essential workers who are 50 or older. And then group three would be frontline workers and healthcare workers of any age. So I feel like that would include a lot of those from the, you know, Latinx and African-American community because they are those essential workers that we see a lot of times. Yeah, what's what's really good about um, the way North Carolina is handling it is that anybody can actually see it on their website. So if they go to the North Carolina DHHS website, um, the first thing that's going to pop up is uh, COVID. And they actually have like the full updated guidelines there. And as Courtney said, they, they seem to update very often. Mm-hmm. The way that North Carolina is rolling out, it's not specifically targeting, um, you know, demographics along a, a racial timeline, but mm-hmm. really looking at it in terms of age. So we know that person greater than 75, if they get infected with COVID, they have really bad outcomes. We know that certain um, disease states, whether it be uh, cancer, diabetes, hypertension, some of those like really bad uh, comorbidities, they're going to have a higher incidence of poor outcomes with COVID. You know, in the black and brown communities, there there is a reason that there is mistrust 
out there, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there's mistrust out there as it relates to healthcare, as it relates to just social justice in any form, right? But when we think about healthcare, we know that um, our history hasn't been as kind to us, right? And so we know that. So I, I want to talk a little bit about some of the myths that are out there and just try to help talk about what they are and how we can help dispel some of them, specifically the Tuskegee experiment. I hear a lot of people talk about, oh, is this like, is this, is this another Tuskegee you know, incident. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll say it's tough because um, a lot of times when we think about racial disparities, specifically Tuskegee, it wasn't that long ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's hard. And one of the great things that I've heard about is they said, you know, when you when when someone cuts you and it, it cuts deep, and that that cut is not taken care of, it it festers and it becomes a scar. We all have a scar somewhere in our body that 20, 30, 40 years later. Someone will say, well, how'd you get that? You remember every detail about it. You remember how you felt at that time. And most of all, you'll say, yeah, I won't do that again, whatever it may be. Um, I have a pretty big uh, scar on my hand, and, and I'll say, I'll never try to open a tuna can uh, without a can opener ever again in my life because I have this uh, pretty big scar on my hand. So that's that's really where we are. A lot of people say, you know, get past it. This is different times. But a lot of the people that were involved in this Tuskegee experiment are still alive. And so it's one of those things that is sometimes difficult to get past. And we have to, I think, see it head on that that was a shameful period in our history, specifically when it comes to uh, disparities that were not necessarily created, but observed in the medical community where they could have, um, you know, made an intervention and, and gave those men and women treatment uh, that would have prevented some of the outcomes that we saw um, during that experiment. Um, and, and that's something that we have to be able to kind of categorize and say that um, since then we have evolved more as a society. Uh, there were things that were acceptable at that time that aren't acceptable anymore. Um, we have to also understand that to your point, this is the only thing that helps us get on equal playing field when it comes to how this virus specifically is impacting our communities. And so make those decisions based on fact, right? Don't don't make it based on what someone told you. You've got a lot of people within the medical community that can help you make that decision and can help you come from a space of, you know, ensuring that you're doing the best thing for you, your family, your community. Diversity um, in in all fields and healthcare um, is, is extremely important. Um, and so making sure that you've got representation um, from um, all aspects of, of our community, um, making sure that you have um, black and brown um, doctors and scientists who are, who are right there, who are performing the tests and who are bringing their own perspectives and insights into um, these investigations is, is extremely important. The last question that I have is, and you all have said so much and have, have given us so, um, the dialogue has been rich around um, the vaccine and, and you all have taken the vaccine and the side effects and, and trying to make sure that, that we're educating and helping people stay with the facts. So if, um, if you have one last thing to say to um, the communities, our employees, or any other population about taking this vaccine, 
if you could just put it into maybe one or two sentences around um, why why you did it and how you can encourage someone else to take the vaccine. So I think the reason I mainly did it was just being a, I guess, spokesperson for my family or trusted voice for my family. Um, you know, they trust me already as a pharmacist. So I feel like, you know, they see me getting this vaccine, you know, no side effects occur, then, you know, they're going to trust to go get it. I mean, I know in the past when there's been, you know, flu vaccine, some people in my family don't get the flu vaccine, but I finally convinced them, hey, this is why this is important. I think it's just more so about, you know, educating people, um, you know, gaining their trust. I mean, that's what we're, you mm -hmm. know, trying to do as clinicians is, is to gain that trust. And I like how, um, Dr. Kizzy Corbett kind of explained it when she was talking about the vaccine, um, about the mistrust has been, as we talked about, the mistrust with the, you know, Tuskegee experiments. Um, but we have to gain that trust back. And I like how she said, we have to do it on a brick by brick approach. Mm -hmm. So we have to, you know, continue to build upon those blocks and, you know, continue to teach our community, continue to teach our patients that, we are listening. We are there for them. And like our mission says, we are going to be right here with you. So for me, I'm a, I'm a data and science kind of driven person. And so mm -hmm. for me, it was follow the data, follow the facts and make the best decision. And for me, it was, I, I was a person that, that looked at the studies, uh, was brought into helping with representation around this very early on and wanted to make sure that if I were going to sit down and we talked about this before we started recording with my mother and uh, convince her to take the vaccine, that I knew all the data and the facts because I was going to be telling her, hey, trust me and mm -hmm. take this vaccine. I understand um, that the general community may have a harder time grasping the severity of this. You don't see the disease. Um, you're walking around, everyone looks healthy. Why are stores closed? Why can't I do what I've always been able to do? I understand that perspective. I have the benefit of working in a hospital that takes care of these patients. And I've seen patients die of this disease. And so the reality is so much more real to me um, that it, it's important that I'm able to share that perspective to my family and to those that I come in contact to, too, because I understand that you just don't see it. Um, and if you don't see it, it's kind of hard to really grasp um, how, how bad um, this situation is. Listen to the other perspective. So if you are a diehard anti-vaccine, um, you know, open yourself and, and allow maybe someone else from a different perspective to share their knowledge and really open yourself to understanding on the other side. Thank you. Thank you. Well, well, well said. And I just want to let you all know that I am excited when it's my turn to take the vaccine. When I think about all of that that you've said today, and when we think about, it's about building trust. It's mm -hmm. about getting the facts. It's about being respectful and listening to other points of views. Um, I mean, all of that is a part of who we are at, at Cone Health, right? And so I am just proud that we are, that we work for an organization that encourages us to have the, um, to engage and embrace in, in diverse ideas and, and, and diverse um, 
thoughts and also that to make the space for us to have conversations about whatever we want to have them about and so that we can really, really help educate and, and feed that curious mind that we know is, is out there. We appreciate you and thank you for all that you're doing and for how you're serving our community and our patients and how you're there for each other. Thank you for listening to Authentic Moments with Kiva. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is our way of being. We embrace and celebrate uniqueness. We are courageously curious, and we cultivate connections one person at a time.